0: It's fine. Either seat is fine. You can't see her. You you can't can't see her. Oh, it's okay. This one's fine too. Um, good morning, Shabbat Shalom. It is such a joy to begin together. We are going to begin as we always do with a bracha. Baruch, Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu Melech haolam, asher kitshah nobemitzvotah v'tzivanu
1: la'asok v'tivrei torah la problema ad donare a donino e a distribuire tra fa filino vuddi am habi israel venieron a novezu stai novezu am habi israel kulani u deche mabram de torpe falishma barukata donai a retornar a israel
2: barukata donai che lo veinumele tola o sher barbarva et torto
0: so, this morning we are talking about anti Semitism, um, specifically how we can respond to anti Semitism. And it's so intense to see the ways in which anti Semitism is rising in our world. Just yesterday, I received an email uh, forwarded from a member uh, that was sent by Newton South Community. I'm just going to read this email to you. Dear Newton South community, I'm writing to share with you that this afternoon at Newton South, a student reported to a staff member that they had discovered two three-inch swastikas written on the tile in a boys' room bathroom stall. In response to this incident, we are following our protocols put in place to address acts of hate, bias, and discrimination. These protocols include informing the Newton police and the Anti-Defamation League as well as conducting an investigation to identify the individual or individuals who committed the act. If your student has any information regarding this hateful incident, please encourage them to speak with their counselor or team. As we know, anti-Semitism is on the rise in the world and this incident reminds us that we need to be vigilant. I continue to be saddened and angered by the violations of our core values within our student community. As a school, we strive to create an inclusive and welcoming environment free of hate. We will continue this work and will not be deterred by this or any other incident like it. Respectfully, Mark Aronson, the interim principal. This is just this week at Newton South High School. This is something that's happening across our country, across the world. And it's so disheartening, especially for a generation that grew up on the wisdom of Oprah and the secret, the idea that you can create what you want to create by your internal reality if you don't see it, if you don't think about it, if you don't focus on it, hatred will just go away and we can all live forever and always in peace and happiness and everything that's good. Unfortunately, our people has too much experience dealing with anti-Semitism. And so today what we're going to be doing is we're going to be looking at liturgy that evolved throughout our history um, and interestingly, uh, a surprisingly large amount of our liturgy evolved during the periods of greatest persecution and pieces of liturgy that you might not expect. Before we jump into liturgy, I just want to share a little bit of, of history. Um, we're talking about the medieval period. Uh, the first crusade took place in 1096, and that was attacking Jews of the Rhineland. That's worms, that's Speyer, that's Cologne. And basically, crusaders were on their way to Jerusalem to rescue the city from the Saracens. But on their way, they pillaged and plundered Jewish towns, murdered. They would uh, take captives and then have horrible mobs of attacking them. Um, This was followed by various edicts, uh, mostly coming from the church. Um, In 1233, Pope Gregory IX established the Permanent Inquisition. Um, And that basically set a mob of Dominican friars who would condemn heretics to the stake. Um, You know, the the lynching scenes of this country, that was was what it looked like in Eastern Europe with Jews burned at the stake. Um, And that continued on and on and on when the crusaders finally made it to Jerusalem. They shepherded all the Jews into a synagogue and burned that synagogue to the ground. There was the Black Death in the 14th century and blood libels all across Europe. There was the... Edict in the mid 16th century, which forced all Jews into ghettos, and of course the rules that required Jews to only perform specific jobs, jobs in themselves like money lending, which then led to anti-Semitic tropes such as being overly greedy or or stingy, or only interested in your own interest, only interested in power. And so here we are in this interesting space. We've never had more more power. We've never had more freedom. We never had more ability to fight anti-Semitism. And in some ways, I feel like we've also never felt so lost as to how to do it. So we're gonna take a look at these liturgies. We're gonna start with a prayer of Harachamim, which evolved uh, just during this inquisition as a way of uh, honoring those whose souls had been lost to the crusades. So um, Elias, I'm wondering if you could read just the first part of this blessing. Um, We're on source number one.
1: Good morning, everybody. The father of mercy who dwells on high in his great mercy will remember with compassion the pious, upright, and blameless, the holy communities who laid down their lives for the sanctification of his name. They were loved and pleasant in their lives, and in death they were not parted. They were swifter than eagles and stronger than lions to carry out the will of their maker. I'm going
0: to pause this here. And I just want to ask, what is this, what's this response to anti-Semitism? What is this response to these Crusades? How is the Jewish community um, incorporating their experiences into liturgy?
2: Okay. <laughs> um, I, I would say so far, um, this appears to be pain, um, loss, and um, lifting up. Of legacy, right? The idea that they they lived for something, they were committed to values and ideals we hold dear, um, and this is really about them, not about the people who murdered them. Mm-hmm. In other
0: words, taking the legacy of these people out of the hands of the crusaders, lifting them up, and and it's as if they've, they've been able to isolate themselves from the anti-Semitism that, that caused the pain, and they're able to just
2: yeah, I mean, we'll continue on, I think, and, and see sort of a, a slightly different voice. But I think that at this moment, it reminds me um, back when Columbine happened and there was this horrific school um, shooting and there became a real social t- uh, social twist that instead of repeatedly covering the murderers and those who commit these atrocities, we would focus on those whose lives had been lost
0: Mm mm-hmm uh dan will you keep going keep reading sure
3: um may our lord remember them for good together with other righteous of the world and may he redress the spilled blood of his servants as it is written in the torah of moses the man of god O nations, make his people rejoice, for he will redress the blood of his servants. He will retaliate against his enemies and appease his land and his people. And through your servants, the prophets, it is written, Though I forgive their bloodshed, I shall not forgive. When God dwells in Zion... And in the Holy Writings, it says, Why should the nation say, Where is their God? Let it be known among the nations in our sight that you avenge the spilled blood of your servants. And it says, For he who exacts retribution for spilled blood remembers them. He does not forget the cry of the humble. And it says, He will execute judgment among the corpse-filled nations, crushing the rulers of the mighty. And from the brook by the wayside, he will drink then he will hold his head high
0: slightly different tone at the end there <laughs> so can i
1: can i can i put into context something so this Seems is different. coming from the orthodox uh, sidurim most of them uh, our our sidur doesn't have this prayer and um, you can see here in this text that it's also the el Rachamim that we are going to talk later but they are the same what i find interesting is that this prayer that it's harsh at times it's not recited on Hagim and on special <laughs> holidays. We are very good people in those days, you know. And regular Shabbatot, we do this, but not on holidays. So I just needed to bring that up.
3: I yeah. find it interesting the, the <laughs>
1: distinction.
3: Yeah, I just want well, to say also, that this, it, you know, this also reminds me of, you know, the psalm on the high road bavel. You know, you read through it, and we are weeping, and we are crying, and then, and then, oftentimes you would find musical settings that would not include the last, you know, two verses, which says, "Happy are they." Who the, uh, the smashed the heads of the children on rocks? We don't we don't get that, uh, we don't get that anger most of the time. But but it's there, uh, and you know and it's here also. So that actually reminded me of this moment where, you know, we remember the souls of those who have passed, but also, <laughs> a, in a very human way, we are asking God uh, for, for to to um, to be a uh, to be a vengeful God. And God says in the Torah, you know, that uh, you know, that I'm I'm a vengeful God. Uh, and so, this we're asking God to do what God says,
0: right? And I think one of the things I find so interesting is that actually our evolution, that the language at the beginning, and especially if you hear it in the Hebrew of Harachamim Meromim, right, is so similar to El Male Rachamim. We've taken the way that our liturgy evolved. Um, it's actually been the practice of Jews since the Gaonic period to honor the dead and to make sacrifices for the dead. Um, And there were rituals that that accounted for that, but it didn't become formalized until this period of the Crusades. And it came specifically out of the experience of watching communities be decimated by crusaders and having no recourse and then developing this prayer to lift up the souls of those who had been lost to the Crusades. And then it became a practice sort of naturally after that to honor loved ones on their yard sites. But during the, the peak of the Crusades, this was recited every single Shabbat. Every single Shabbat, and then from that evolves our rituals. And it wasn't actually until I think the 16th century that we started having uh, Yizkor on festivals. It was in Yom Kippur sooner than that, but it was an evolution out of this. And so it's such an interesting history to me that that our experience with not just anti-Semitism but deep, intense hate and loss led us to be able to celebrate all of the loved ones in our lives. And and today, right, most of those losses are not to hatred or anti-Semitism. And so I want to ask, like, how does this history, understanding this evolution of this prayer, how does it affect our experience of Yizkur? And how does it affect our experience of, of how we process the intensity of our time?
3: I would say that you know m- most people obviously think of Yizkor as really a a moment where they remember their loved ones, and you know, but putting in the historical perspective uh, is really interesting. You know, this was cre- the the Yizkor service was created for uh, to to recall communities that that where everybody was everybody was uh, was um, you know was murdered, so that therefore there was no one to say Kaddish for them. That's you know the history of that. Um, uh, and then, uh, and again, I guess what you're you're saying also that you know there, there are times that when we move away from this kind of hate, you know, there's there's always an ebb and flow in everything that we do, um, and so uh, you know, uh, the, in, in the times that. That anti-Semitism and persecution was a little less. We would move away from it, but then, you know, then it would, uh, you know, come back to us. But I think it's also interesting. I think if if all of us recall the um, uh, the history of Yiscah, it's going to change the way that we encounter it on the Chagin, mm-hmm. that, that, um, that which we actually recited. And by the way, you know, it's fun, my, my understanding is that that. Um, that uh Sephardic uh, and um oriental and Yemenite communities don't have Yizkor as part of the liturgy because they didn't actually live through the through the traumas of the Crusades, which is really a European thing.
0: It's very variable. The Italian community do have it and some Sephardic do, but some also don't and the Oriental definitely don't.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah you
1: know we cannot talk about the person without talking about Inquisition in of Spain. Course, yeah. well, the, and all the Sephardim come from Spain. Yeah. So
2: um I f- Find this really interesting. So, as a as the only non canter in this <laughs> in this circle, um, I I'm one had, of the best singers. <laughs> I had thank you, Dan. I had never been aware of the evolution evolution of Yisker out of this moment. So, thank you so much for bringing us that historical context. It feels to me like this prayer, the Av holds a container of of, of anger and pleading to God to, to have retribution, to, to destroy those who want to destroy us. And, and it's a prayer that we really needed and perhaps sometimes again may need. But when you speak about Yiskar having flowed out of it and you ask the question that you asked, which is sort of what do we make of the fact that now it it's miss it's neutered, it's missing that that anger that was in the original, I actually am thinking a lot about the moment that we're in in this 15 months that we've just been through. And we've had a lot of loss. We've been to a a lot of funerals. And our members have been to a lot of funerals. And the question is, we, we have all that anger that's expressed there, but no direction. There's no enemy that's coming to destroy us and how do we how could we continue to give voice to that um we, we can't there's it's diffuse there's nowhere uh, well, for that uh, to sorry, go what do you
1: mean by there are no enemies
2: meaning that coronavirus has killed indiscriminately uh, sorry, sorry, it's sorry. not you, you know it, you they're not, to, crusaders, the virus, not the to the virus yes yeah. so so there there's there's no um you can't say you know god come and redress the blood of your servants when you're talking about a virus and perhaps as we're moving through history and we're encountering different ways that people lose their lives we still find that we need that first container we still need to be have a way to lift up the memory of those that we love and so you create a more generic all-purpose prayer? Is that what you're trying to, to yeah, get I think at? That,
1: I think that my take is, you know, many times I thought about the following. Um, when when Israel was established in '48 and they had to do the War of Independence, somebody may have thought, okay, 1951, 1952, let's go back to Germany. Let's go back to Poland and kill every single one of yeah. those who are alive who send us to the ghettos and to the concentration camps. Mm-hmm. And that never happened. Mm-hmm. So that speaks about how do we see ourselves as a religion and as and as people that, you know, it could be led into the El Maleh instead of the Hamim. Mm-hmm. You know, going from this revenge, the bloody revenge, which at some point we all have inside ourselves, to a more humanly, you know, trying to make things better for the whole world. But I want
3: to point out something that you said uh, when we were talking in your office yesterday, um, that we do have a space for anger uh, towards God, and you had pointed out a specific text, I think it was from a German Sidor, or oh, was it was a French, It was a French, it was it German, I forget, which actually talks, which has, actually has a whole text about um, about taking God to task. So. It's here, it's
0: it's on page five of the source sheet. So yeah. it's a pew yeah. that was written by a, a French rabbi. Right,
3: right.
1: So yeah, that is specifically talks, can I say something about that? That specifically talks about the 1242 burning of the Talmud in France. Uh, to make a long story short, um, some members of the government in France accused the Jewish people in France to using the Talmud, which was a very sacred book for them and having the material containing a lot of things against Christians and Catholicism. So they went to um, uh, the pope that you mentioned before. What was his name?
0: Pope Gregory? Yes, Gregory.
1: And they convinced him. They traveled all the way to Rome, and they convinced him that the Talmud was a horrible book. So they decided to publicly burn 1,000 Talmud. uh, What's the plural of Talmud? Talmudim? Talmudot. <laughs> Anyways, Talmud. one thousand Talmud Talmuds. All right. One thousand Talmuds <laughs> in France publicly. And think about the following. Printed, you know, books were not didn't happen until two hundred years later. So these were handwritten, a thousand handwritten Talmudim, mm. Talmudot, Talmud, Talmudai. All right. And this is horrible. And that, that is what that period was created that we resided in Okay,
2: right, and I'll only you that... can speak about the burning of Talmud in the public square and the the visceral devastation of the core of our Jewish people and make us laugh.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so I think one of the things I want to come back to, and we're going to move on to Berkat Aminim, which, which specifically has to do with that period of history and the the way that it unfolded but one of the things I want to just highlight here is that the revenge that we're talking about is not revenge that's enacted by the Jewish people. There's no imagination of us actually going out and and doing anything to uh, right this situation. It's all about God and so it's a very interesting place for me because it's deep anger and I think that's a really important emotion to lift up like particularly when we have no control right. They Our, our people in, in antiquity really had no power. They were um, they they had no retribution they had no way of enacting revenge but they did have this prayer that like let there let there be justice let there be revenge was their vision of justice and it's asking god to intervene and i find that to be such an interesting and and um challenging problematic way of thinking about god because there was no time throughout this entire history that God actually did that. Like, there's there's no time. You think about, you know, 12, like, 1026, and then you think about 1096, and then you think about 1100s, and then you think about all the expulsions, and then you think about all the persecutions, all the burnings, all the people who lost their lives. There's no moment in which God actually does anything, or at least anything that we can see, and yet people keep reciting this prayer and keep having that hope that there could be revenge and there could be justice.
3: Well, I was just, you know, just the one time that God does actually uh, exact revenge is on the Egyptians. So the hope I can, the hope goes back to then. So in other words, if, if God did it once, then God may do it again.
1: Yeah, and yet we were talking about this yesterday, just a small footnote. When we read the oh, yeah. Megillah of Purim that you chant so well in chapter 10 mm-hmm. at the end, oh boy. You know, when Haman is it's, um, out of business, and what do the Jewish people do? They go and they kill 30,000 Persians. Ooh, let's talk about uh, bloodshed there, All Well, right? and,
0: and also, really interestingly there, what also happens as a result of the Purim story is a bunch of forced conversions, or maybe we don't see them as forced conversions, we just see a bunch of people um, who are not Jewish who decide to save their lives by becoming Jewish, um, in much the same way that happened during the Crusades.
1: But it, it's
2: interesting that you say this prayer is not included in our prayer books. Now we definitely do not include <laughs> those last chapters of our Judge, of it's our. Very well, uh, Maikilla, done. Yeah, you, we do. We, we re- do every yeah. We no, no, in our family <laughs> service, <laughs> right? So the question <laughs> is. <laughs> <laughs> as we're as we're praying, you know, I, I'm famously Eileen Beckman and I have this this conversation every year where we're trying to change the lyrics of that old Heyman, Oh, once there was a wicked, wicked man, and we talk about h- hanging him from the gallows. And Eileen is always, oh, that's not very appropriate for children. <laughs> and that and that's our and that's our story. Like that's our story is a story of suffering and pain and loss that is really not appropriate for children. And yet it is still our story. And that goes back to our conversation last week.
1: There is an effort. We have to agree on this. There is an effort in our rabbinical sages and in our Hasidim to sort of push aside all that aspect of our tradition. Because think about the Maccabim and think about why that wasn't incorporated into, into some Bibles. Because, you know, it's, you know, then we change it for Niflaot, which is marbles instead of words. So there is an aspect in Jewish history that we were...
2: Yeah, but there there's also a tension in Jewish history, which is that all the things that we aspire to, getting back to your original point, Elisa, about, you know, we we want to create a world of peace and blessing and joy and comfort. And we want to create for our children for the next generation a legacy that you will not have the kind of challenges in in this world You, you can build a better world. And yet Elias, like how do we transmit this reality of you may you may be confronting these kinds of facts do we still need this prayer do we still need yeah. those last chapters of Purim to be
3: saying loud and clear to you know, our children me personally
1: our, yeah. I agree 100% yeah. I'm going to say should be I, on. Want,
3: I want to jump in and say yes They also. should be on. Yeah, and, uh, by this, the way are we yeah. still on? Yeah we're still, yeah. I hope so. Yeah, I just want to I want to say Someone come in to say otherwise. So one of the things, so one of the things we've been worrying about is the generation, our younger generation, who you know, who exhibit, um, uh, you know, Jews that exhibit anti-Israel tendencies, not having a background, not having an understanding, and what we just said about when we say, oh, it's not good for children to learn about this stuff. I think that actually this is actually a place where we have actually lost lost touch with the reality, and if you go back to the, um, you know, even if you go back to the 1800s, and, um, you know, what uh, we learn the, the grim fairy tales, you know, and I, I thought, I always thought that was an adjective, but it's actually the name of the people that wrote them, Um <laughs> That <laughs> you know, you depends know that, right? whether you're reading yeah. the real Grimm yeah. fairy tales yeah, or the yeah. pretend ones. So, but when, when, in the, not the Disney version, but right. the real ones, right? So children were taught from a young age that the world is not a pleasant place; that it's dangerous. Um, and it, when you read those fairy tales, they're really, they're really about they teaching. De la yeah. yeah. So, so the idea, that, the idea that, that when, that when, as we continue, as we continue to eliminate. Um, teaching our children about reality, so that when they, be, they become older, they don't have a sense of the, of the reality of the fear of what the, what the world really is. Yeah, so
1: just quickly, uh, I remember, um, we were in March of the Living and then we traveled to Israel. That's one of the most beautiful things. You fly on a plane with all Jews from all the world, leaving Poland, seeing Israel. And then the, the, the whole trip ends on Yom Maut in Israel, in the Kotel. And we had this great hazan, the hazan, the official hazan of the tza'hal in Israel, singing "Beisham la Aboteino." Oh my God! You know, it was it was amazing. And uh, the translation is, help me out here. It's a paraphrase that we we recite in 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 Pesach. In cada generación. Oh, I'm sorry, that's Spanish. Uh, <laughs> like in every generation, they stood against us in Correct. order to in kill every, us. In
2: order to kill us. Yeah.
1: Yes. So,
0: So, And I want to move us, because we're going to now come to Birkat Minim, which is one of the blessings that's in the Amidah. Birkat Minim was, uh, you know, we talk about the Amidah as being 18 blessings. And in the Talmud, it raises, you'll see here on the source sheet, number three, the Talmud, it raises, like, what are you talking about, 18? There's 19. and The reason is that the after, and now this is where we have to, to sort of either believe our tradition or ask our tradition what's going on here. Because after the destruction of our temple, it said that Rabban Gamliel instituted this blessing. Now at that time, how was the temple destroyed? We learned this a few weeks ago. The temple was destroyed because a few, because hot people we couldn't get along because we were fighting with each other because Jews against Jews because Jews were ruining it for other Jews, um, and so the temple was destroyed. Or you could say that it was, you know the temple was destroyed because we couldn't figure out a way to work together to to figure out a way out of that siege. Whatever the answer is, that that we caused our own destruction, um, and so bemoaning that fact. This, this prayer was instituted against those who would fight against the Jewish people. Uh, or maybe not fight is the right word, but, but who acted against the interests of the Jewish people. It, later it comes to be seen that this is really a, a response to those apostates, and that specifically has meaning during the medieval period, because there were Jewish informants who would go to the Dominican friars, who would go to Christian leaders, and show them texts in our doors and show them texts in our Talmud that, that showed that Jews were out to get Christians and, and Jews that, that really betrayed the Jewish people as a way of gaining power, as a way of, of they thought, saving their lives, it, it didn't end up working. But the deepest fear that the Jewish people had were from those Jewish traders. Um, and so this blessing comes about as a result of that. and It's still a blessing that we have in our Siddurahs today. So, Michelle, I'm hoping you can read uh, just the English translation um, this is something that still exists. You know, we talk a lot about blessings that have been changed and altered. This exists in our conservative sidurim. Um We'll take a look at the, the Reform adaptation. That's It's very different on the next page. You want the actual bracha or you want from
2: brachot? Uh, the actual bracha. Okay. So it's number four. Let there be no hope for informers and may all wickedness instantly perish. May all the enemies of your people be swiftly cut off, and may you quickly uproot, crush, rout, subdue the insolent, speedily in our days. Blessed are you, Adonai, crusher of enemies and subduer of the insolent.
0: Excellent reading. <laughs> and. And what's interesting about that is we have a, a practice of doing our prayers. Um, Elias, I wonder if you can share about the practice of how we recite this when we are leading prayers.
1: Yeah, we were talking about this, and I want you to mention your version as well. Uh, sorry, Michelle, we are going to talk about nusach now. <laughs> and, uh, so nusak it's, it's, it's usually translated as musical formula used to lead certain parts of the service. That varies depending on the time of the day and the days of the week. Um, so basically... When I'm chanting this part as the repetition of the Amida, um, I use a very—that's the way I was taught—very soft voice for the entire paragraph, and try to use as less as possible notes, musical notes in terms of variety, to monotone and with a small, you know, volume.
0: Can you model that? How you do it?
1: And then, uh, The next paragraph, I say it super loud because it's israel. Uh, you know, for the righteous, for all the, the Jewish people, and um, that's the way I'm, I, I was taught. But you, <laughs>
0: well, before I get to me, I just want to say that that there that We cannot talk about practice, that, but anyways. And. Um, one of the things I find so interesting is that this paragraph was actually censored throughout history. This paragraph actually uh, received great ridicule from the Christians. There was concern that they were talking about Christians. And in fact, if you go back to El Bogan, who has a, a history of liturgy, he talks about actually, there was the word Christian specifically in here. And actually, it wasn't just the informers. It was actually apostates. And actually, the language was much harsher um, at, during the, at the time of the Crusades and afterwards. Uh, Christians who were in power actually took R.C. Dream and actually blotted out words that they didn't want and substituted words that they actually wanted. Um, there were all sorts of cases. They also had a, a policy where they could come into synagogues and three times a year, every Jew had to come listen to them teach in our synagogues. And so part of the question I have about how this evolved to be a quiet recitation of this prayer is whether it was a concern about people hearing and understanding what was being said and they didn't want to take it out completely, but they also didn't want it to jeopardize their lives. Um, I shared, and i sorry, I'll let you jump into that. But when we were talking about this ahead of time, I've shared that um, for much of my early prayer practice, I hated this bracha and would skip it or would avoid it or would recite it as just as quietly as that. And then there were periods in my life where I saw um, individuals in this world who I felt like were demonizing or realities in this world that I felt like were demonizing, were persecuting. And you think about the genocides that are unfolding now. and and in light of those genocides, that was the first time that I ever felt like I, I wanted to say like, yeah, this is, I, I'm, I'm with this blessing and I, and, I wanna, and I wanna bring that out. Like, I don't have any power to change this reality. I don't have any power to save all those lives, but I, I do hope that there's some God out there that's gonna do something about it.
1: Yeah, it? I wanna say something. So, uh, you know, I'm going to say something that perhaps some people f- may find it controversial, but one advantage I have over all of you, that when you say something controversial, it's very clear because everybody can understand how easily, how beautiful you speak English. I have the excuse, no, I never meant to say that. It was my (laughs) accent. You couldn't understand what I was saying. Anyway, so here we go. So this is not my personal opinion. I don't want to bring my personal opinion to here, but I want to say that let's think for a minute. If this prayer today, in this day and age, doesn't apply to the extremes of Jewish people, that we are in politics, thinking that we may have some trailers among ourselves. Meaning, this is not me. Some people who think that the Jewish people who are accusing Israel of being the ethnic cleansing and all the bad things that you see in the in the press, that this prayer doesn't apply to them. It's it's a topic we can discuss, and uh, we should do it in a balcony scene, not bringing our opinions, but. You know, at many times, this prayer comes alive in different times of, of the of the Jewish history. So it was my accent. I didn't say that.
0: No, but I think that's totally right. And I think one of the things that's that feels really challenging for me, like I work with a lot of young people, and I hear a lot of young people saying things like, free Palestine. And while I am deeply in support of Palestinians and Israel getting... Getting more support and 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 having their own land and and being able to be um, at peace and, and empowered, I don't like that "free Palestine" phrasing because what it "free Palestine" is all of Israel, and so it feels like here is a case where, particularly young people, I don't I don't think people always think through what that means, what that means, what they're saying it, and and language matters and how we speak matters, and I think that there's a lot of you know maybe this is is because in our Jewish community we haven't figured out ways to talk about Israel or anti-Semitism or Zionism in ways that bring us all together and ways that we can really think through things together. And so maybe that means that things get pushed off the table and we stop talking and we stop working with these ideas. But I think that there is a sense that, you know, sometimes we feel like there are people in our tribes who are actively, you know, who don't, who don't see eye to eye with us and who aren't um, protecting the land of Israel or standing up for the land of Israel in ways that we would like. And, and you know, I'm not sure that this blessing actually works on that, because I think what we really need is to have deep conversations and to be thinking together about what are we saying and what are, what are the words that are coming out of our mouth mean and what do we want them to mean, uh, right? Because I can say something, right, as you shared, Elias, I can share something and, and people can hear something that I actually didn't intend for them to hear. Um, we have to work on that together and we have to get there together.
3: I want to say also to just go back to the idea of the liturgy, and it's really interesting how... Some of our prayer practice was actually um, uh, created because of our relationship with the uh, with with the greater community, with the with the Catholic community, the Christian community. Um, you know, like um, you know, we have the the Shema early in the service, right? And uh, why do we have it there? One of the reasons that that was actually put in early in the liturgy is that um, there used to be. Um, uh, Guards, you know from other cultures that would come and listen to the prayers and they were uh, especially the Romans They were frightened frightened to death literally of the Shema uh, So that they, they really they, they thought it was a call to war they would hear people singing it really this, this is a the MS I was there. I was there. I'm all this dessert, right? Um, so so the earlier Shema was added in so that um, the, uh, the Roman guards, they, weren't, they, they were like all good Jews. They went there early in the service. And so they, 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 they didn't hear that recitation of the Shema. So that it allowed people to say the Shema quietly and be able to do it without necessarily being fearful of, of uh, um, retribution. So that's another practice that we have that was created in relation to what the, the church told us we could do or not do.
2: Could, could I ask a
3: question? Like
2: Cantors, that. please. <laughs> <laughs> so um, so you brought the of HaRachamim, and you showed us how that has sort of edged out of our at least liberal liturgy, and to the extent that we still carry it forward, it has actually been transformed into a different prayer. And then you led us into this meaning prayer where you said that there were 18, and now this is the 19. And I want to ask the three of you, Why do you think that's stuck? I mean, in in rabbinical school, I didn't go to cantorial school, but in rabbinical school, (laughs) right? They teach us that originally when there were the 18 blessings, when you originally had the Amidah, people could freestyle those. There was a period of time where all of that was kind of evolving and it wasn't necessarily clear. It wasn't written in a book. You would come and you knew the basic themes and you would do jazz on the prayers. And at some point in time, you got this idea that they are static they're fixed and and of but of all the many 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 prayers that we could have had as our 19th why do you think this one stayed and stayed in its fi- in its form in the exact form that it has even though if you're talking about the historical context you're telling me that historical context is
0: is different well and this form is actually not its original form we actually don't know what the original form is it's gone through so many changes but I think your your basic question which is like why does this I would say this idea this 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 intention stay um, is a really good question I, I guess my answer would be I think that it it responds to a deep need that we have that how do you understand and I think this is the the heartbreak at the heart of this prayer. How do you understand when somebody that's supposed to be on your side, that's supposed to be rooting for you, that's supposed to be supporting you, turns against you, and you you have no recourse? This this prayer is that answer.
1: Yeah, but also you you included in this booklet the version that it's used in the weekday tefillah in the Reform book. Will you read that translation? And uh, it's 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 changed. Um, so you have it here on evil on top of the page on the left. Let the reign of evil afflict us no more. May every errant heart find its way back to you. Oh, help us to shatter the dominion of arrogance, to raise. So it's it's a completely different thing. even the text, instead of La belarisha altihitikva. So to the bad evil, not not specifically talking about people, but in general a a general concept. So it has not evolved. you. It's
0: your behavior,
1: right? Exactly. <laughs> so it has evolved. It has evolved, and and the original text had different different things, as well. No, not velamachini was one of the original texts.
2: But but here's my question: in you're you're asserting that this is this is the 19th, right? This is the one that has been added. So if it's not just that the rabbis are bad at math. But that there's, <laughs> Just but also that there's <laughs> something, you know, that we felt we needed to put in our service that has to that has to stay with us. It has to walk with us. And it's so important that out of all the possibilities that could have become the 19th, it's this one. If that's well, what I you're believe, asserting, I
1: that The concept of this is that these people who included to me, this is my take, is that for them it was more fearful more dangerous the the not the external enemies but the internal enemies
2: that's, that's incredible and danger, it's not how
1: much danger and what how how the in danger the jewish people could be because of those and not because the external forces and, and that's it, so it, beautiful it, it but here's sense.
2: a question guys yeah. like it, if our prayers work our prayers are not about them our prayers are about
3: us so this, and this, this is why it works. This is why it works, because this prayer you know, was added because originally Christians were Jews. And so this would actually, in a way, um, it, as Elias pointed out, this, is, this was an internal struggle. So this would actually point out that if someone were, um, were a, uh, a, an early Christian Jewish person, if they were asked to lead a service, they, they would get up and they couldn't say this because it would actually be pointing out that they're 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 against themselves. The other thing that liturgically, um, there's also this possibility that we could still have 18 brachot because originally, Etzemek David and VeYerushalayim Ircha was actually one bracha, which then became bifurcated uh, at some point. So if you would put. Those back as to one bracha, then you still have 18, which is a diff- that's a whole different mathematical question. But you want to right? Well, and I was going to say we we yeah no, next yeah, week right. we'll yeah. be
0: doing all of liturgy and we'll be going specifically into how you count 18. No, though um, <laughs> so actually I just want to say I really wanted to send out as the teaser for this class. I wanted to say like please join us as we totally nerd out on liturgy because this just feels like the most exciting thing to talk about. um but I think that point that... You
1: should, you should explain what we did yesterday.
0: Oh, my gosh. Yesterday? So we didn't. were
1: in my office for an hour, <laughs> and we pulled Sidorin from here, from here, from here, books, books, books. Yeah, it was like 20 30. books in the table, and the three of us were talking about this stuff and passionately discussed. It know.
0: was so blessed. We were pulling through. I mean, there's so many other prayers. If you want to stay with us, like, oh, my gosh, we can do hours. Um, but I think that that... Yeah, Michelle, the point you bring about we pray for ourselves, not for others, I, I don't think that the... Sidor sees that. I actually think that Sidor thinks that we actually have the capacity in our prayers
2: to change the world around us and change other people around us. No, no, I... I I was specifically say them historically. Thank you for clarifying. Elias was giving us, you know, them. Back then, they were using it in this historical context. And what I want to say is that if you have longevity in our prayers, those prayers are not meant for some historical community that experienced it within a particular context. Right. They're meant to... To speak to us in right. every and age is, and that, at every stage. You know,
1: I don't know why specifically these people did that. Maybe then can answer because he was there. But, <laughs> but I love you. Then you said it before, so that gives me a chance to <laughs> talk about. But if you look historically, that wasn't the only case. Think about in Spain what happened with the Marranos. The Marranos were the Conversos. They were forcibly, um, you know, they they forcibly converted. Okay. But some of them. Some of them convertedly easily and say, yes, I'm, I'm ready to, to leave my, my tradition. And then think about a very controversial topic that we rarely talk, the Kapos, during the, the Holocaust. Yeah. You know, the Kapos were the Jewish people working in the concentration camps for the Nazis. Right. So it has been historically, unfortunately, many cases where this prayer comes alive.
3: And we can we can even talk about the fact that maybe our younger generation is for us la those people that's that you know free Palestine those younger people that don't get it um, those are those... That, let's clarify
1: that's how some people see it not us
3: <laughs> <laughs> right exactly <laughs> I'm saying I'm saying maybe we could do that. in other words you know these the for uh, these are people who are you know that 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 are at odds with um you know with with much of what many of us believe which is that israel has the right you know israel has the right to exist and if you say free Palestine, you say it's all of israel and how can our kids not get that and so they are they are a force within the jewish community that are bifurcating us that are that they're making that are um you know that we're we're just hoping will um will See the light at some point, but also just you know we have to be we have to be cautious uh, of, uh, of 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 how we uh, approach that whole you know um, connection. But it's also you know it's also a prayer that we have that um, that that these people will not will not internally destroy the Jewish community,
0: right? And I think part of this for me, the form is really important, right? Like the way that we respond, the way that we respond in antiquity, the way we respond now is not. It's not through massive action. It's not through blasting social media. It's not through talking about how stupid people are or how dumb they're being. It's through prayer. And I think that there's a really important distinction between the communication we have in our prayers and the communication we have with each other. Um, And so, you know, our our goal today had been, like, how do we look through the liturgy of our past, liturgy that evolved during the periods of most intense anti-Semitism for answers to how we respond today? And I think, you know, our final question and, I, and I'll start off and then, and then would love to hear all of your wisdom is that you know how do these texts teach us I think for me the lesson of this text is that it's really important for us to have a space to just speak and to be angry and to be vitriolic and to be like outraged and to just, just be open and that space is with God and then the work that we have to do with one another is more intentional, that work is relationship building, that work, that work is asking, when you say this, what do you mean? When you say, you know, for example, a free Palestinian, what is it that you mean? Do you mean what I think you mean based on those languages or is you, are you saying something else? And can, can I understand what you're saying? And Can we work together? Can I share with you what it feels like for me when I hear you say X? Um, and can we, can we get to a shared place where we're able to work towards the best world possible for all of us? Um, I think those are two really different steps. And so if I were looking at our tradition, I think my, my vision would be that we have two moves, one that's recorded in antiquity and one that, that we have yet to write.
1: My, my take on all this is that we have come a long way using a prayer book that, based on my, my take, it has to represent us as human beings with every single emotion we have through our lives, and through our experience. And that book has all these prayers. Prayers when you really need to be anger with external forces or internal forces like these two, you know, that you brought up, and many cases where we feel differently. And we are experienced at different time in Jewish history, at times, that we don't need to say those prayers. But the fact that they are there, I just love it.
3: That's caught up in the... In the in the the form and the words of harachamim you know father of mercy destroy and kill all the people that hate us (laughs) pull and push you know so exactly what just said you know all the emotions rolled up and you know there's a great book if people haven't read this it's called god a biography if you if you haven't read that it's it's an awesome book and it talks about the evolution of god as you know elkanah to um to of harachamim and how god you know god and, and so God's appearance in in all of our liturgy and all of our um, our torahs it's it's it it's in many different in many ways reflections of who we are as human beings at various points and stages in our lives.
2: Shall I get the last word? Uh, well, I just want to say thank you colleagues. <laughs> really um just fascinating interesting opens up different rooms in my heart I think a lot about the teaching that um, we actually see liturgy not only as the the prayers that we lift up towards god but also as a life curriculum and so i think i have a takeaway from this session that we need to continue to explore our prayers and to continue to bring our contemporary challenges to those prayers and ask what is it i'm meant to learn here today and how can i use that to help lift our world
3: so, oh yeah!
2: Thank you.
0: Amen. Amen. Vokher yeah. tov, everyone. Shabbat shalom.
3: See you in uh, ten minutes. Yes.